You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production. It's a brave move to leave the safety and security of an established career and throw yourself into the hectic and unstable world of a startup. In fact, some statistics suggest startup failure rates are as high as 97%. Not many 56-year-olds who can see a comfortable retirement inside would be prepared to take that gamble. But David Leong was. Despite being told he was crazy by people he respected and having to spend a lot of time convincing his family it's what he wanted, David left a prominent CIO position and joined AtDocs as Director of Software Solutions. The risk paid off as AtDocs continues to develop and David's family now understands his real passion for helping the business grow. It comes down to having the right attitude and being able to see what others don't. So let's unpack the mindset of somebody bold enough to do what most people never will. David, when it comes to your career, you have done something that most people would not touch with a 10-foot pole. You turned 56 and then you went and got yourself involved in a startup business. Why? That's correct. I was asking myself the same question (laughs) because I was asked... I mean, isn't that a young person's game? It's anyone's game if you're courageous enough. That word sums it up completely, if you're courageous enough. So why were you courageous enough then? You saw the opportunity and thought, that's for me right now? It's multifaceted. It was a case of I was in a really nice, comfortable job, top of my game with a prominent law firm, and I could have ended my whole career there and just retired as a happy old man or a happy, (laughs) sad man. And I've always been curious of what entrepreneurs do and how they live and, you know, what challenges and opportunities they have. This was presented to me by a friend of mine. And was this I'll, part of your networks that previously established back in high school, university? No, it no? Wasn't, wasn't a, a school friend. It was a, a networked friend uh, from business from 20 years ago, believe mm. it or not. And so what did they do? They they saw the idea and thought it's worth pursuing, then sort of pitched it to some friends that they knew, you being one, obviously, and sort of said, am yeah. I on the right track here? Is that how it played out? He was an entrepreneur. He had a very successful print and imaging company and very forward thinking. And he knew that everyone's going paper light. So his print industry and print business would decline somewhat and he would need to pivot into software solutions, an area that he knew nothing about. We used to catch up for a steak every month Mm -hmm. and we would talk about what he had planned. I'd be giving him career advice on what type of person he should be looking for. And he kept selling this to me and I, I actually didn't know because he's a great salesman. He was actually selling the job to me. Mm, whilst okay. he was asking me right, questions yep, yep. to the point where I asked him, what sort of person are you after? And he said, well, I think I'm looking at him. Were you convinced right away in that moment? Um, I was. I was I was very excited at the time, but you know, I had to go and consult you know, my family and, and get their, their views on the world. And how did that go down? Not great. Um, <laughs> They thought I was having a moment. My children were saying, why would dad leave such a great job at (laughs) the top of his game (laughs) to go to a startup company? I imagine going further, some of your friends would have thought the same thing too. Yeah, absolutely. They thought I was having issues, you know, personal issues or, you know, what could have prompted it? Because in the role that I had, the only time you would leave that role if you were asked to leave or pushed. 
You would never resign from that role. So his sales process or sales pitch must have been pretty strong because you've got your family and your friends one side saying you're crazy, don't do it. Yeah. You've got one person saying you're the, the person that I want in this role. Why did they win out over your family and friends? His sales pitch still resonates with me now and it was all about not what you could earn, it was more around lifestyle. He asked me, what's your best day in the week, David? And I said, it's Saturday because I get to play golf, I get to catch up with my friends. It's just a great day, I don't have to think too much about work. And he turned around and said, what's your best holiday? I said, well, when I've got enough leave, my best holiday is when I had a long service leave and I went to America uh, with the family and to Europe on a different occasion with the family. So he turned around and said, okay, why do you have to wait six days for your favourite day? And two, why do you have to wait and accumulate four weeks of leave in every year to have a good holiday? It's pretty compelling. That sold me. Yeah, he, he sold me the dream. It was really about just being completely independent and completely in control of your own destiny. And when you relayed that message back to your family, did they see it in a different light? Absolutely. They were just like, fully supportive of it. We're talking about at Docs here. So that's the startup you went and got yourself involved in. It's been around for about two years. Is that correct? Two years. Yeah. That's correct. Talk to me about it. What do you do there? I'm one of the founding directors with my colleague who really oversees the print division and at Docs. Most of the employees, the sales employees, are within the print division. So I was a, a lone wolf for the first six months. Started with a blank canvas. I asked, what do I have to go off here? And I was told, I've registered the company name. And you run this company the way you want to run it. What products are we going to sell? I don't know, you tell me. Most people would run for the hills and seek their job back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the one they'd I, left. I guess on the other side of the coin, though, that's really exciting, right? It you, was. That's, yeah. that's exactly how I took it. Mm. I, it was like, okay, I've gone from a one of the most prominent law firms in the country that were very, very structured to you've got a blank canvas here. You can run this company, run and sell whatever you want. Mm. What you learnt at university, has that been relevant to what you're applying and where you're going with AtDocs? In terms of the way I approach problems and solutions and my attitude and my, my thirst to just be inquisitive and to experiment I think that comes from my physics background and the fact that you think there is no problem that can't be solved. That has helped greatly with what I do because mm. you meet clients with all sorts of problems, but you go in and again, it's confidence. You just know that you can solve their problem. I don't know what it's going to be just now, but I know I can solve your problem and I'll be able to articulate what that solution looks like and give you alternatives to that. I think the learnings from university was really about, one, being able to deliver things on time. Everyone complains about doing assignments and getting it in, and my daughters do it now. You know, They have to lodge it before a particular time, and I see all the stresses building up to that. I live that every day. It's a learnt thing. Why wait for the 11th hour to just start preparing to, to lodge it? Lodge yep. it the day before, and then, then relax. So my learnings through university was, was really just getting that. 
whilst I didn't know it at the time, just tuning my, my attitude for work, the way I approach work and the way I would deal with work and work tasks and pressures and just having the confidence and learnings through my working career just to back myself that I, I just know what to do. Did you go into your career from university with confidence or was it a bit of a struggle for you? Was it uh, a whole new world out there that you weren't anticipating? What was the overriding feeling? I was, uh, yeah, misguided with what I studied at university. I came out and I thought I'll just work for one of these big computing companies and, and go from there. I didn't get into one in the first instance. And ironically, my first job was in sales. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my first job, commission base only, mm. no retainer. And tough I, work. It was very tough. Mm. And again, it was it just built that resilience. It was selling video rental solutions to video stores before the locks of Blockbuster. Yeah. Okay. So I was literally visiting every video store in Melbourne, just trying to sell this product. And not a great deal of success? Not one sale. Not one sale. How long were you doing for? Nine months. That's a, that's a long time. That's a lot of rejection. So in the course of any one week, how many video stores were you fronting up to? I would do three to four video stores a day. Ooh, that's so a lot of rejection. There was a lot of video stores in that time mm. because it was all new. And then I left there for BASF, mm -hmm. a reseller of BASF, selling magnetic tapes. Uh, the students listening probably wouldn't even understand what I'm talking about, but floppy disks. Okay, yeah. Five and a quarter inch floppy <laughs> disks. And, yeah. You know, and I had some success with that. It just wasn't where I wanted to be at the time. Mm -hmm. I, I started, in my own mind, I thought I could have done this without any education. So, you know, maybe I should focus on something else. Yeah, right, yep. Yeah, from there, I did get a job with Wang Computers as a field engineer a client services engineer where you would go and resolve all the problems for the clients uh, and and be on call. And that was great. And I thought that was my dream job. There was 70 engineers. Um, at the time, I thought I was overqualified because I had this physics degree and a computer <laughs> science degree. Yep. And I assured them this is the job I wanted. So they started me at the bottom of the, the pile doing printers and screen replacement. I did that and I just got to the stage where this was all too easy. You know, if I just go around and maintain these things, they wouldn't break down. So from that, I had all these um, letters sent in from the clients about what a great engineer they have being me. And all of a sudden I win this award from Wang to go to Boston. Nice. It was called the, the Pride in Service Award. Mm -hmm. And only two people from Australia got it. Out of how many? Well, there were 70 engineers in Melbourne alone. Mm -hmm. There would have been about 300 engineers in Australia. That's a good result. So I got sent over there. And the other person that got sent over was a, a high-end systems guy. I remember getting to Boston and he's talking all these systems to me. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I do screens and keyboards. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was that was quite hilarious because everyone was there. Was a, it was all around customer service. And I remember meeting Anne Wang at the time, who gave me this this beautiful gold watch. Who was the founding director of Wang Computers Industries, which was this huge computing company. I remember shaking his hand and he knew I was the only printer and screen guy 
at this conference and I remember him saying to me, it doesn't matter what you do, you just do it well and it's all about customer service. Mm. And that resonated with me. It's that customer service. Absolutely, yeah. Um, from there, because I, I'd, I'd been decorated with this award, I, my, my, my career just accelerated through Wang. I got to the senior engineer to the point where I was going to a lot of critical client problems. And again, it was all about the customer service. Like, these are really irate clients that mm. had system down, their, their operations weren't working, and I would just smooth the situation and calm the waters and get the problem fixed. And one of the clients was a law firm being caused Pavey, Wadding and Burn, and the national technology manager at the time said, we're about to embark on this huge merger. We've got this highly paid executive from an airline coming to us to run this merger of all our law firms to become a national firm called Cause Chambers Westgarth. Do you want to come across and integrate all of our systems? So well, you, you couldn't say no to that. Mm. that. And that was essentially the interview process. It was literally being poached. Wang at the time didn't mind because it was an existing client. I was, you know, it was a friendly going into a client site. Mm. So I would purchase more. So from that, Wang Computers itself was a proprietary-based computing environment. And at the time, you know, the IBM PC came out where we talked about networks and Microsoft, not Microsoft as we know it now, but the early days of Microsoft Windows. And I started looking at that thinking, we need to start investing in that. That is the future. This Wang system is going to run out of steam because mm. it's going to be way too expensive and way too much to, to maintain. So I started putting myself on some courses to understand the networking involved with that. At the time it was, you know, it was called Banyan Vines, you know, you know, Novell, you know, some of these networks that, you know, students would never know about, you know, mm. you can look it up in a, <laughs> in the history books. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's probably the, the basis of what we know now around networking and, I upgraded the Wang system at Cause to this open system network. And it was one of the first law firms to move across and start using Microsoft Word as an open platform. Yeah. So it sounds like in the course of that, uh, in the course of your career, really, you've been poached, you've been headhunted. Was there a lot of applying for jobs? I mean, obviously early when you didn't have much experience, but after you got some of that experience, is it is it more uh, the fact that you've known people or they've seen the quality of your work and they've approached you? Yeah, it was all of that. Mm. So from Wang, I was poached to Cause and then from Cause, Cause Chambers Westgarth, I was poached to Mallison Stephen Jakes, which is, Mallison's was the preeminent law firm of the country because they'd seen my work at Cause moving from the Wang system to open systems. And just through the network and word of mouth and referrals from even partners of the law firm to other partners, I was asked if I wanted to come across. Mm. And there was no interview required there either. It was, you know, well, we, we kind of had a, a pseudo interview process. Yeah, tick the box. They exactly yep. knew who they wanted yep. for the job. Yeah. So, so what do you put all of this down to? Well, I think it's, 
ultimately hard work. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it's got to go hard beyond work, that, though, doesn't it? I but, mean, because a lot of people work hard. Um, but hard and, work beyond what you're doing. Yeah, everyone can just sit and sit in the constraints of what they do on a daily basis. But look outside and be inquisitive and and learn. You don't need your supervisor to tell you you should be learning this because of you know this is the future. If you believe what the future holds, you should start learning it and experiment. You've got nothing to. It's not. It costs you nothing other than your time, and it just enriches you know your capability and scope. In your position now, and as you continue to develop at Docs, what are you looking for in the the younger employees that are coming through? What's the skill set? What's the the personality traits that they've got to have that you look at them and you go, you've got to work for us like so many people have done to you? Oh, it's just drive, passion and drive. Passion from the heart that they they love the the industry. They're not just doing it for the money because that would just come mm-hmm. um, and drive. They, they're, they don't need to be, you know, told and micromanaged of what to do. They're self-starters. They go and, you know, do their own research with things and, and, and call out if they need help. But at the same time, you don't do this in isolation either. You know, you just let people know you're doing this. You know, you might be taking some crazy path, but, hey, you might just go and develop something like blockchain, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lovely. What is the future of IT? Where's it going and what does it look like? I think it's been accelerated in everyone's minds just in the recent 18 months with the pandemic. IT was always, oh, it's, it's a nice to have. If you just think if technology wasn't in place with what the world's going through right now, it would just come to a standstill. Businesses continue to run on the back of IT, the back of innovation, the back of, you know, business-to-business commerce. Where is it going to go? It's like when I was in the 80s and I heard someone tell me about the internet and everyone was thinking, it's just something that started in the universities as this chat. (laughs) That's going nowhere. And Boy, how were they wrong? This is correct. Mm -hmm. So, and what's happening at the moment, you're looking at, cryptocurrencies as the, as, as the new gold, as a new currency, replacing dollars and cents to, you know, you look at electric cars and power and energy, renewable energy. It's, it's, it's all based on technology. Mm. And, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more self-serve uh, through bots artificial intelligence, you know, not to the, and artificial intelligence really spooks a lot of people when they hear that, but machine learning capability Mm. Mm. to enhance your decisions, not to make your decisions. What we're seeing now is tip of the iceberg of what's going to be in the future. It's just, it's just been brought forward in everyone's minds now. Mm. So, uh, in terms of cybersecurity, increased threats because there's more technology going out there with the likes of wearable devices. Everyone can, you know, talk about, I'm going off the grid because I don't like this big brother. I don't know how you're going to exist Mm. and how long you're going to exist if you're going to be off the grid because everyone's just relying on technology in this day and age. Mm. So if you had your time again, what would you go back and study? now, considering everything you've just mentioned then, what would some of the courses that would 
would stick out to you as, as real opportunities? Now, if I had my time again, I think the sweet spot is, you know, just get into a stream of technology. It's whether it's cybersecurity, cloud computing as a service, digital marketing is going to be huge. It's already happening mm-hmm. with the likes of Google and Apple. Mm-hmm. Just start your path and, and find your way. Don't really start with the end in mind because the end in mind is going to change dramatically. <laughs> Just in this context, yes, absolutely. Yeah, dramatically. Yeah. David, thanks very much for uh, having a chat with us and uh, giving us the benefit of your experience and, uh, and good luck with that, Docs. Yeah, thanks very much, Luke. Yeah, thanks for the chat. Very interesting chat with David Leong across two episodes about how he survived his school days right through to joining a startup at age 56. To me, the message that resonates from David's story is his resilience and courage to back himself no matter the challenge. You're listening to the Careers Talk podcast series, a Salt Studios production.